podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Solid 7 out of 10. What about you? Well, the house has been a bit chaotic for the last few days because of the thunder and lightning we've been having. The dogs don't like it. Molly has spent most of the last few days under the bed. So trying to wrangle her out from under the bed has been a little bit of an issue. But other than that, I've been okay. It sounds chaotic is the right word, but given some of the other reasons, let's say your household would have been uh, in disarray over the past year, I'd probably take a bit of thunder and lightning. Yeah, yeah, to be fair, to be fair. Um, Right, we don't really have a topic as such, we just wanted to get some content done. But Bournemouth decided to help us out yesterday by announcing the dismissal of Gary O'Neill. It had been assumed that O'Neill would remain in charge, having taken over from Scott Parker and seemingly doing the unthinkable and keeping Bournemouth up. But it was, I'm sorry, it was two days ago, very quietly, they'd obviously made moves behind the scenes no outlet seemed to have this news. At 12.30 on Monday, they sacked Gary O'Neill. And by 3 p.m., they had announced their new manager, whose name, I'm going to go with Andoni Iraola. I'm going to allow you to correct me on that. It's you know close, my, to be fair. My, my issues with pronunciation. <laughs> but this Andoni is... Iraola. Iraola. This is a... A very ambitious move, I think, because this guy was been targeted by a number of other clubs. He was Leeds' top choice when they sacked Jesse Marsh back in February. Mm. He's done a great job with Rio Vallecano. And it, it does seem like the right move for Bournemouth. However, it does seem a little bit harsh on Gary O'Neill, given the fact he did keep them. Now, the overall record wasn't great. 37 games. 11 wins, 6 draws, and 20 defeats. Not great, but he did keep them up. Where do you stand on this, and how surprised were you by A, the sacking, and B, who the replacement is? Um, I mean, there's two two sides of this, obviously. One, the how much a manager deserves a job at any point. So I think, as you just explained, the, the surprising way he kept them up, um, was an overperformance of most people's expectations, but it doesn't seem to have been an overperformance of what Bournemouth themselves as a club were targeting. So 
probably they think that Gary O'Neill did a really good job, given it was his first game, lack of experience, uh, sorry, first senior job, lack of experience and all the rest of it. So he has done well there to keep them up. But is he able to do that over the course of a full season again? And then again, then keep improving. That would be their you know, ruthless, basically, way of looking at it. And there were two really, really bad spells that Bournemouth had even under Gary O'Neill. And that's probably, I'm thinking, what has decided their uh, direction that they're going to take now. You know, the, the period which kept them up really was March and April. And during that time, they picked up enough wins, and especially against teams around them, um, to basically see them safe. Uh, they beat Liverpool, obviously. We all remember that one, unfortunately. Uh, they beat Fulham. They beat Leicester. They beat Spurs. They beat Southampton. They beat Leeds. Three of those games, at least, very, very crucial uh, in terms of not just getting the points yourself, but stopping teams below you picking up anything at all. So those games effectively did it. But between you know mid-December and when they beat Wolves in February, nothing. No, mm. no victories at all. And again, to end the season, once it was obviously apparent they were pretty safe, four straight defeats again. That happened like three times throughout the season, four, yeah. in, a row, four in a row. Uh, and that kind of lack of, uh, let's say, ability to stop the rock quite quickly is probably one factor. And then, as you say, it is an ambitious move. It is a, quote, clearly another progressive coach without loads of experience, but who has already quickly proven himself and, you know, O'Neill might think that he might have had the chance to do exactly that if he'd have been given another year or so. But as you say, you can see both sides of the argument. One, it is harsh, but two, it might still be the right thing to do. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, if you look at their results, they started the season obviously under uh, Scott Parker. They beat Villa on the opening day. Then they lose three in a row. The last of those is the walloping at Anfield. And Parker is sacked, in part because of his results, but also, I think, largely because of the comments that he made. And he basically said, we're going to go down and we're going to get walloped a few times. That's basically what he said. So they sacked him. They bring in Gary O'Neill. They go six unbeaten and they take 10 points. So that's, that's a really good manager, new manager bounce. But from the win against Leicester, on the 8th of October, all the way through to the win against us on the 8th of March, they only took eight points. They drew at Bournemouth, then they lost four, sorry, they drew at Fulham, then they lost four in a row. Then they beat Everton, who everybody was beating at the time. All the crap teams were getting their only win at that time against Everton. You go to the World Cup break, they come out, they lose four in a row, they draw with Forrest, they lose to Brighton, they draw with Newcastle, they beat Wolves, they lose to City, lose to Arsenal. And then it's us. And then that good run that you mentioned starts. And then they lose their last four. And I do think they've probably looked at it on balance and thought, what is the real truth of this team under Gary O'Neill? Is it that run where they managed to win six games out of nine? Or is it taking nine points from five, 10, 15, from 16 games? Like, what's the real truth? And it's probably closer to the latter. It's probably closer to those long runs without a win. 
those long runs with one win out of nine or one win out of um, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. One win out of thirteen. Like one win in thirteen games is just not going to get it done. Now I do think Gary O'Neill has done himself plenty of favours, and I do think there will be championship clubs that will have interest in bringing him in. I think he's he's shown he can certainly manage to some degree. And, you know, Sheffield Wednesday have just parted ways with their manager. Could they potentially look to bring him in? I wouldn't rule it out. He'll certainly have some phone calls that will come his way. I think that's that's definitely going to happen. But I think for Bournemouth, they'll also have looked at the fact that they went massive in January, Carl. They spent a lot of money. Yeah. They spent twenty million on Oatara, twenty four million on Zabarni, ten point five on Semenyo. They also committed to the Hamid Traore deal, which was a loan with an obligation to buy for twenty five million if they stayed up. So that's now confirmed and done. And then Matthias Vigne was brought in on a loan with an, with an option to buy for 15 million. And it remains to be seen what they do with that one. But like, that's a huge commitment for those new owners to make. That's almost 90 million if they take up the Vigne deal committed in one window. And they'll probably look at it and go, well, that's the real reason we stayed up is because we spent that money. We'd rather not have to do that every time we're in the shit. And Iraola has, he's proven he can make it work on a, on a budget. Like, you look at what he did with Vallecano, especially in this past season. Now, I know they finished 11th, but if you look at the league table, they were only four points off a European spot. And they finished above Sevilla, who won the Europa League. And I know Sevilla had a dreadful season. But they're still a big club and they still won the Europa League. They finished well above much bigger clubs like Valencia. Like They punched way above their weight. And I think for a guy who took them over when they were kind of floundering in the Secunda, got them promoted his first season, kept them up comfortably in back-to-back seasons without any real fear of relegation, I think this is a this is a guy who's very much on the up. This isn't one of the most promising young managers in Europe. And truthfully, I think Bournemouth have, have done very very well to go and get him. Uh, they definitely have. I I would have expected him to go to a slightly bigger club, I think, is probably the best way to look at it in terms of, you know, infrastructure or support, or whatever, but he's probably looked at the investment that they've made. I suspect that Bournemouth as a club have made forward investment here. You know, they've spent part of this summer's money in January, uh, thinking that it would be enough to help them stay up. And then they've already got, you know, part of the the squad in place that they would have done anyway, had they stayed up. So I don't know that they'll spend loads again, but Iraola, not just bringing them up and then keeping them up, but some of the football he's played, tactically the setup of the team has been really good in the, in the more difficult matches. He also took them to a cup. I can't remember if it was quarterfinal or semifinal. I think semifinals he took them to. And before he joined them, he took Mirandes, who were a second division team, to the semifinals as well. So he has 
started really, really well in Spain, although his first job didn't win a single game. And that was in Greece. I'm not really sure of any of the, or Cyprus, I think. Not, not sure of any of the circumstances of that, but he didn't win a game. That's all I know about that. Um, Idaola, as a, as a player, like really, really fierce, committed, um, right back for Athletic Club for, for years and years and years, finished up in MLS with New York City. But by all accounts, what the players say about him and stuff, he's very, very diligent about uh, the tactical part of the game, positional play off the ball, but also really, really good about build-up play and patterns and everything. It's not, it's not like a, you know trying to, to transpose what he was as a player into a coaching style. It doesn't really appear to be anything like that at all. So he, he's a couple of interesting things here. The region of the Basque country that he's from, and I, I'm not going to try and pronounce it because, again, I will butcher it. Um, this is an area that has produced Mikel Arteta, Julian Lopetegui, Unai Emery, and him. So we've got four managers in the Premier League not just from the Basque country, but from this one specific reason, or sorry, region of the Basque country. What the fuck is in the water up there? <laughs> Couldn't tell you. I mean, it's not a huge overlap of where all those players uh, uh, played under or managers that they played under or anything. So maybe it's... Xavi uh, Alonso, by the way, from the same area. Maybe... Um... Maybe part of the the coaching that they go through initially. Maybe it's something to do with that. It's it's very very impressive. Um, so he normally seems to play a four two three one. From what I've seen and what the research I've done, he does seem to prefer the four two three one. So looking ahead to this season, I would assume Neto remains the first choice goalkeeper. He was made captain. Uh, this past season, whether or not that sticks, I don't know, but I assume he'll be first choice keeper. Defensively, I think they're going to be in pretty good shape. You've got Zabarni, who I think is excellent and I think will play a big role this season. Him and Sinisi seems like a natural pairing at centre-back, which would allow Lloyd Kelly to play left-back, where I think he's better. Now, they could bring back Vina and potentially play Kelly at centre-back either, but I think a right-back is definitely going to be something that they need. And as a former right-back, he should have a fair idea of what a good right-back looks like. In midfield, they've obviously lost Jefferson Lerma. He's gone to Crystal Palace. I think it is an area they'll need to address. You've got Lewis Cook. You've got Ryan Christie, who prefers to play as a 10. You've got Philip Billing, who's very inconsistent. Hamad Traore, I'd imagine, will be the 10. I think they might need two central midfielders. Out wide, you'll have Oatara, you'll have um, Tavernier, who did well from coming in from Middlesbrough last year. They're currently in talks to sign Justin Clivert, so that'll give them three wingers. They've also got um, Jamal Lowe can play wide. Semenyo can play wide, Jade and Anthony can play wide, David Brooks can play wide. So they'll be fairly well stocked in terms of tens and wide players. Up front, you've got Solanke with, again, Semenyo as a quality backup, Kiefer Moore as an option. I think really right back in two central midfielders 
And they should be a pretty strong outfit moving forward. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, I don't think there's massive surgery needed there to be a team which stays up at the very least. Um, you know, if they have ambitions just to you know, make sure they, they stay in the league again this year and then sort of build towards being top half on that, then yeah, I think right back in at least one centimetre. I mean, I think between Rothwell and Cook, maybe you've got a second one there, uh, depending on the type that you bring in. But they definitely need a really, really good ball winner because you know, Billing... Plenty of faults in his game. Lerma, plenty of faults in his game. But what both of them have is the ability to regain possession. Mm. Um, that, that's that's a huge thing that they're going to lose out there, even if it does come at the expense of not picking up 700 yellow cards between the pair of them, you know. Um, but yeah, someone who's who's you know very, very quick across the ground, aggressive, ball winner, give it short. And those attackers that they have, that at least the, the three behind the one, I'm not, I, I don't really like Dominic Solanke. I don't think he's a, Really I wouldn't be a huge be fan either. I just, I, I don't think it's an area they'll look to, to possibly not this year. No, unless you know something in terms of a bit of a change around, maybe with uh, Django Attar or something like that, taking up different positions. But mm. there's enough there in the support and line to definitely have a lot of creativity in their game. You know, there were plenty of games last season when defending really good shape and getting forward really, really good at committing numbers at pace. They were very, very good at that. So you expect a little bit more again, let's say, um, in terms of learning the patterns and the counter-attack and play. And I don't think that they'll be afraid to you know, play out against bigger sides as well. That's that's kind of what I would expect to see as they go on. And like I say, the, the central midfield technical ability, I think, is okay. Um, they do need a bit of a, a defensive protector. If they get that right, then I think it's a really good start. I wouldn't be surprised if they looked at Tyler Adams. I think he could fit the bill for what they need. Now, he might get better offers, but I wouldn't be surprised. And I wouldn't be surprised if they took a look at Kyle Walker-Peters for the right-back spot, because I think he would fit well into that back line, and he's got a bit of versatility about him. So they could just look at the clubs that went down and potentially try and find bargains there. They've clearly upped their scouting network across Europe. They've got an ambitious owner now and a a guy who I think in Bill Foley wants to see the club progress. And it wouldn't surprise me if they're looking at Brighton and Brentford and thinking, well, there's no reason we can't be them. We're a similarly sized club. We've got a similar sized budget, maybe even a little bit of a bigger budget. And potentially that's who we're going to try and model ourselves on. 
How long can they um, do that though? Because the stadium's a lot smaller, so budget maybe they've got a bit more spending power themselves than some of the others, but not in sustainably earning terms. True, that is true. There is a, there is some talk about the potential for a, a new stadium down the line. Whether that comes to fruition will remain to be seen. Um, they've also bought not the club, but Bill Foley bought part of Laurent in France. So you wonder if there might be some sort of link up there where there might be one or two players at Laurent that they look to bring in. I know in January they tried to bring in Enzo Lafie. He turned the move down. It looks like he's on his way to Rennes. But there might be one or two others there that they'll have interest in in bringing in. Um, it could also be a good place for them to, you know, use as a, a club to stash players on loan in the way, you know, Brighton have done it with Union St. Jalos in Belgium, Brentford do with Mitteljand in Denmark. Place to basically run a trial and error scheme, you know, see what works, see what doesn't work. They'll probably still be one of the favourites to go down this this coming season. Just given budget, given everything, I think people will still look at them as one of the clubs that could potentially go down. But, you know, when you lay out the players they've got and with this new manager, I, I kind of feel like they might be okay this season, Carla. I, I don't think they'll be like comfortably mid-table or anything, but it, it wouldn't hugely surprise me. No, like you say, it's a, it's a good start. It's a good base to be building from. I think a lot depends on the two teams who survive below them, Forrest and Everton, because they do have better mm. spending power. They do have better pull, probably. They have shown that Forrest are willing, for example, to go out and just do what they need to do to think that they can survive. And Everton, I mean, we thought this this time last year, but surely now they've been given enough of a wake-up call to realise you're rubbish and you need to do stuff about <laughs> it. So... We'll see because, you know, the the depths that they can plumb of ineptitude are apparently boundless. But I, I do think that maybe this time around with a Sean Dyche figure to tell them in no uncertain terms what is going on and what's not going on, I, I expect Everton to improve. So at I the same time, everybody it, tries to improve and it's not always linear, but I think Bournemouth have got a good starting point at the very least. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's all they can really ask for. The one thing to keep an eye on with Everton, though, is will they start next season with a points deduction? Mm. So, you know, if, if they were if they were docked 10 points, all of a sudden, everybody else starts getting a little bit excited. If you can open up a, a bigger gap than that in the first half of the season, you know, so you get to Christmas and maybe you're 14 points ahead of them, then all of a sudden it's going to be very, very hard for them to claw that back. And I think most clubs will be looking at Luton and expecting that they'll go straight back down. And I wouldn't be surprised if Luton do what Norwich have done in the past and kind of come up, not spend huge amounts and more build a team that can go down and bounce straight back up. It wouldn't surprise me if Luton did something like that rather than overextending themselves. So, you know, Luton... Everton with a points deduction, all of a sudden you might only need to beat one other team to stay up and things become become uh, more straightforward for you. Um, I want to just touch on Norwich for a second. So, Well, kind of Norwich. Um, Stuart Weber resigned as director of football, Carl. 
And in the last couple of days, Daniel Farka has become the betting favourite for the Leeds job. And there are some murmurings that Stuart Webber is set to go to Leeds as the new director of football in September. Is that a move that you think makes sense for Leeds, given those two have worked together in the past, they've had success at getting out of the championship in the past? Do you think that's something that could work for Leeds? I mean, yeah, it could, but I don't necessarily think plug and play of what has worked elsewhere is is necessarily the right recipe for success at a new club, a different environment, a different way of thinking, different culture of supporters, all the rest of it. And I tell you now, you're not going to get too much different within the same country than Leeds and Norwich as sets of supporters. Um, So it's possible. And, you know, I don't actually think that this is the worst thing for for Norwich either. I think it's time for them to have a bit of a reset. They, They clearly had really good success for a while and then got it wrong for a couple of years. And that's all it takes, unfortunately. And you can sort of fall away from the good trajectory that you were on. So maybe it's not the worst thing for them. Maybe it's a, a big opportunity for Leeds if they sort of get the support in place. I, mean, I think Fark is a good coach. I think he's capable of taking teams up. But again, you are looking at a very different squad makeup. Mm. Uh, a lot of work to do on the outgoing side, you would imagine, because players won't want to be in the second tier. Uh, so before you get to what he's capable of doing on bringing players in and you know developing talent and developing squad building that way there's probably going to be money to be raised first by sales. And that is something that he didn't necessarily do too well with Norwich. I know he made a couple of big sales, but he didn't sell other players at their peak. He didn't sell players when they were in demand. And obviously when Norwich went relegated or if the players had a bit of a bad year or a downturn in fortunes, you know, they've lost, lost out on 15 to 20 million rather than holding out for 30 million on, at least three players, if not more. Todd Campbell's yeah. the biggest example of it. Yeah. But there are other ones. Well. Max Ahrens? Yeah. I mean, wasn't there talk of, you know, £30 million bids for Ahrens a few years ago, but Norwich wanted 40? Villa, yeah, plenty of them. Do you know? I, like, I look at that lead squad and I do think if you can hold on to most of the young players and keep one or two of the players that might want to leave, like an Aronson like an Adams and just convince them, look, this is one season and then we're back up and we're good to go again. There is the guts there of, of a very good squad. It needs obviously some clearing out and the wage bill will need trimming and you're going to have to make up the shortfall in Premier League money versus championship money. But players like Firpo, um, Diego Lorente, Jack Harrison, Rodrigo, Dan James. I think you could sell all of them and not actually affect what you would want to be your best 11, given the new kind of new level that they'd be playing at. I agree, but if you're one of those players who are thinking about going, first thing you're going to be doing is looking at his history as well. And so, you know, if I'm a Tyler Adams or whatever, and I want to look at, what happened to Todd Campbell? What happened to Amy Buendia? What happened to some of the others? Well, again, you got hit and missed there. Yeah, that's very true. And um, the outgoing director of football, Victor Orta, who was sacked having uh, done some very strange things, um, has now been appointed as the sporting director of 
Sevilla, which is one of the great examples of failing upwards in recent footballing history. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, they're every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. I have nothing to say about Victoria at all. <laughs> Monchi to Aston Villa. Have you any thoughts on that? I do. And I'm prepared to wait and see because Sevilla have been pretty dysfunctional for a bit of a while now uh, in terms of off-field stuff. Um, I know they've obviously you know, picked up silverware again and fair play, but what, what was it, three coaches this year, four, four, three or four head coaches this year, I can't remember off the top of my head now. Uh, a couple of very, very good ones who absolutely hated the environment. Some terrible, terrible uh, recruitment work, short-term work. Uh, not good. You, in you, terms can of sales. You, you can say Isco. You can say Isco. It's fine. It's a safe place. The, Isco again is the biggest example, but he's not the only one. I mean, you know, they signed him for big, big salary and signing on fee, even though it was a free, and basically kicked him out. That's that's how bad he was. So yes, terrible. Monchi, terrible. Not good since he went back to Sevilla. Not good when he went to Roma. Even the fullness of time after he's left Roma has not really proven the signings that he did make to be good over a longer period. Um, so, you know, benefit of the doubt, and you give him a bit of time, and I'm sure the talent identification is there, and he certainly got better spending power at Villa than at Sevilla. But he's not had a good three, four years, three years, something like that? No. No, he hasn't, in truth. And um, maybe a fresh start and a fresh environment is is what's needed for him. Right. If we look at the Premier League, Carl, is there any other club or clubs that you think could potentially benefit from the same ruthless move we've just seen at Bournemouth, where a manager that's assumed to be safe, maybe the club would be better off moving on? Now, you mentioned something earlier about um, you, you used the phrase, I think, deserved, because a lot of people had said Gary O'Neill deserved the right to take the club into next season. And I agree with you. I don't think anyone deserves anything. I think you have to earn it repeatedly over and over again. But is there any club that you're looking at in this league where there's a manager who is presumed safe, but you think the club should probably be ruthless and cut bait? Because I have a couple. A couple is one of your couple West Ham. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Right. Let's let's start with West Ham because we have spoken about them before. You go. Go on. I think David Moyes has been 
a very underrated manager for the majority of his time managing in the top flight in English football. And I think people look too harshly on his time at United, where in truth he was really set up to fail because nobody, nobody was replacing Ferguson and not experiencing a massive drop-off. Now, I know that after that spell at United, he had his fairly disastrous time at Sociedad and then a complete mess of a time at Sunderland. But I, I, I've always felt like those jobs were because he lost his belief in his methods. His methods did not translate to Manchester United because he's not a, a top club manager. He's the guy that you appoint if you're a bottom half team and want to make a run at, you know, maybe getting into the conference league. And I think overall, despite the lack of trophies, he did a good job at Everton. I think overall he's done a good job at West Ham. But I also think he's taken them as far as he's able to take them. And winning the Conference League was massive. And I was thrilled for him. For him. Couldn't really care about the club. I thought Fiorentina were the better team on the night. But I was delighted for Moyes. Because it's... It's silverware, and it is major silverware. It's a European trophy, and I know it's the third one, and yada, yada. I think in 15 years, when this competition has more history, them winning that competition will be looked on a bit more favourably than it is now. But I do sort of feel like Moyes has taken them as far as he's able to take them. And with the new owner, Kratinsky, who seems to be very ambitious, with a new director of football coming in, and Tim Steeten is the name who's been mentioned. I do feel like they have ambitions above and beyond what Moyes is capable of taking them to. And if Rice is leaving this summer, which everybody expects that he will, I think now is the time for a reset at West Ham and a move towards a new era built around a different cast of players, including obviously a lot of the players they have there, Ariola, Agard, Skimaka, I would be keeping, Paqueta, I would be looking to build around those. And the problem with him is, I don't think he's willing to do that. I think he's got that clock gene of being loyal to a fault and thinking that it's better to have guys in the team he trusts even though we've seen Mikel Antonio let him down time and time again for two years. We've seen Fabianski let him down time and time again for two years. Well, more for a year with Fabianski, but definitely two years with Antonio. And he doesn't give enough, enough opportunities to these newer, younger, more talented players that could raise the ceiling of this club. So I think for everybody involved, including him. I think it's the right time for a fresh break. He can go somewhere else and start a new project and try and get them into Europe. And then maybe he goes on another European adventure. But I do think they have ambitions of, of bigger things. Now, whether they're realistic ambitions or not, that's not for me to say. But I do think they have ambitions higher than what Moyes is capable of delivering. I, I'm not going to add anything at all to that. I think that was pretty comprehensive. I think that that's 
very, very much the arguments. And I think emotion will well, obviously pretty much has one out uh, and he'll be allowed to restructure to a point after Declan Rice goes. But I think if they were using this money now with the start of a new cycle, it mm. should be somebody else. Yeah, me too. I mean, the players they've been linked with, uh, Pauline is a good player, no question. But James Ward-Prowse, if that's how you spend the Rice money, you're going to be worse. Polina is Polina is more of a replacement for Suchek than he is for Rice, and he's an upgrade on Suchek. But Ward Prowse is a massive downgrade, massive downgrade on Declan Rice. And overall, I think you're going to be worse off. And again, like I think he'll go into next season playing the same. Same goalkeeper and same number nine who simply are not good enough if you want to be anything more than what they were this season. And let's not let's not beat around the bush here. If they don't beat Fiorentina in that final, and we just look at their season on the whole, it's a very, very disappointing season from that group of players. 14th in the Premier League. And fortunate to have finished 14th. Out of the FA Cup in the fifth round, having you know beaten Derby as one of the two teams he managed to beat, out of the EFL Cup in the first round they competed in to a lower league team, at home, by the way. And like if you look at who they beat in the Europa Conference League, Vyborg, the artist formerly known as Steuer Bucharest, Silkberg, Anderlecht, a mid-table Belgian team. Larnica from Cyprus. Ghent, a mid-table Belgian team. AZ Alkmaar, a very average Eredivisie team. And Fiorentina, who, again, I thought they were the better team in the final. And they did get to the uh, Italian Cup final as well, but they also finished eighth in the league. They were a mid-table Serie A team. It's not like they beat the best of the best to get there. They had a very favourable run playing teams that had they not beaten them, it would have been embarrassing, quite frankly, all the way up until the final. If any of those teams had beaten West Ham, it would have been a source of embarrassment. So I don't think beating those teams should really colour the view of what was overall a disappointing season. Winning the Cup, absolutely overrides that. Winning a trophy, especially for West Ham, is an outstanding achievement. But context is important here. And I think overall, when you when you take out that competition, their season was a pretty big disaster. Given that last summer, they spent 30 million on Agard, 12 million on, on Ariola, 10.5 on Flynn Downs, near 40 on Skimaka, 20 on Max Cornet, over 10 on, on Tilo Carrere, 15 on Emerson Palmieri, and I think 40 on Lucas Piquetta, and bought Danny Ings and Luzau in January for a combined 20 million. That's an awful lot of money for anybody, let alone West Ham. And they finished 14th in the league with, with apparently a hundred million pound player also rocking around in midfield and a 50 million winger that was already there in Jared Bowen or who they believe is a 50 million winger. 
sounds like you're, you're not just advocating a, a replacement, but an outright sacking for an outrageously bad campaign. If they hadn't won the final, absolutely. <laughs> I, I don't know how he survived through the Premier League season, frankly. Because it's not just where they ended up in the league. Like, look at some of the results, Carl. They got absolutely decimated at home by Newcastle, who were who, have str- who struggled to score goals for large chunks of the season. They got decimated by Brighton. They they just they weren't good at any point during the league season. At no point in the entire league campaign did they go more than four games without a win. They only won back-to-back games in the league twice, and that was in October. They beat Wolves and Fulham at home in both games. They had two spells of three games unbeaten. Sorry, three spells of three games unbeaten. And that's it. Like, that is a very, very poor season. They lost 20 Premier League matches. 20 Premier League matches. From, like, to me, that's automatically sacked. I wouldn't even let you get to 20. So I, I do think they need to be ruthless and move on from Moyes. And I think for him... Now, I think if they make the decision that they're going to do it, they should give him the opportunity to resign and allow him to frame it as, I feel like I've accomplished everything I can here. I've won silverware. You know, I think it's time for me to move on. And they can let him have the hero's departure. But I do think they need to be ruthless. Who's next? Right. So... I've only got one to add to this. Okay, well, let's have your one first. It's pretty harsh. Is it Newcastle? Nope. Oh. Sheffield United. Yeah, they're they're on my list. Paul Heckingbottom is the manager. He's Make brought the them case, up. then. Yeah, he's brought them up. Um, not normally the case that you're rewarded for promotion by being the sack. So I, I obviously do not expect that to be the case here. But if Sheffield United are looking to establish themselves this time, this is basically the first time he's done well in a job. Um, not hugely experienced yet. He's not been around for you know 700 years or anything like that, like some of the managers. He's only 45 still. But Barnsley, he was a caretaker and then got the job. Leeds, he was sacked within months. Hibs, he was sacked within months. Sheffield United, he didn't actually get the job the first time uh, after being caretaker first. And then the second time he did, and he's brought them up. But we've seen a lot of times um, managers, teams coming up from the championship after just basically catching fire for half a season. They were better than that. I don't think it's you know, fair to describe them as just a team who got a, a hot streak. They were they were pretty good overall, but you're still looking at a team who won just over fifty percent of their games in the in the championship. Uh, Style wise, I, I don't particularly think that this is a team which is going to have huge possibilities of staying up beyond spending big money and again that's not something he's been able to do yet team building is not something he's really had a chance to do yet i just i don't really see that this team is set up at the moment. i think that's very very fair and i i, I do think they're a team that are likely one and done like you go through their squad 
it's not great. Like, it really isn't a, a strong squad of players. There's a couple of standout performers. Ilhamen Njai, I think, is is excellent. And I'm very excited to see him in the Premier League. But I would have major question marks over every other attacker at the club. Rian Brewster's been a, pretty much a disaster since going there. Ollie McBurney has had multiple bites at the Premier League Apple and not done anything. Um, the two other strikers there, Osolo and Jebison, are both kids. In midfield, Sander Berg is a good player. But the two other midfielders that got them up, Tommy Doyle and James McAtee, they're gone because they were in on loan from Man City. There's huge questions over whether Ollie Norwood is still good enough. Ishmael Akulabali has barely kicked a ball since joining them. And then they've got a couple of kids. And then defensively, George Baldock wasn't good enough last time they were up. Chris ba- Basham wasn't good enough last time they were up. John Egan is decent, but he's also 30. Max Lowe, questionable whether he's Premier League calibre. Jaden Bogle hasn't proven it, hasn't really been given the opportunity yet. I do quite like Reese Norrington Davies. I think he'll be okay. Uh, Ahmed Hozic is, I think, the standout player there. But, I mean, there's a, a defence needs to be built around him. And then the goalkeepers, Adam Davies is average. Wes Fodderingham was a career backup, really, before he went there and is pretty average. And the one remarkable thing about this squad, Carl, is of all the players that they have, 5, 10, 15, 19... 24 senior players who've played a minute or so, a minute or more at senior level. There's only a handful that are contracted beyond next season. Ahmed Hodzic, Rian Brewster. In fact, is that it? That's it. Everyone else did a contract next summer. So there's a massive rebuild needed there and a lot of decisions needed over all the existing players and again that's not something he's done before and like you said you look at his track record fairly poor at Barnsley awful at Leeds awful at Hibs didn't do a great job the first time he's in charge of Sheffield United but he kind of took over a poison chalice and you know he's done pretty well this time but not not an outrageously good job like, I don't think Sheffield United coming up was a massive surprise. And there is some money behind them, but like, there's huge, huge work needed on that squad. I Like, that's not a Premier League-ready squad. They need at least one in attack, a couple in midfield, a couple in defence, and probably a goalkeeper. You're probably looking at six or seven players that need to come in who are ready to start day one. That's a huge ask. And we saw what happened with Norwich, and that was with a manager who was used to doing stuff like that, who was used to having a team sort of thrown together at the last minute because he'd done it at international level. He'd done it at Swansea where he had to shop largely in the loan market. Heckenbottom hasn't dealt with this type of stuff before. And sure, some of the players that aren't quite good enough, you'll get away with for a year. Some of them will up their level because it's a chance in the Premier League and maybe a chance to make Premier League money for the first real time in their career. But I think they need major work this summer and I'm not confident that he's the man to oversee it. So 
it is harsh because he got them promoted, but he'd be on my list as well. Anyone else you're going for? I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. This one's even harsher, but anyhow. <laughs> like... I mean, I guess we know the argument there, right? They're, they're now at a level where they can push on quicker, and he is. Yeah. That's basically it, isn't it? Yes. I think he did an outstanding job. He's my manager of the year for the season that's just finished. I think he overachieved more than anybody else. I really admire the fact that he has completely changed his approach from what it was at Bournemouth, and he's made this team more cynical more hardworking, more aggressive, more gnarly, much harder to break down. This was a team built on the best defence in the league, which is a complete change from what he was at Bournemouth, where his teams were defending his what now? How do you spell that? Oh, no, we don't do that here. Like I really admire the fact that the time he had out of the game, he seems to have really evolved his own approach. I just don't think he's the aim for them is clearly that they want to win major honors and i think he could win a cup i just don't think he's the type of manager you can win a league or a champions league with and because they've gotten into the champions league i just think it makes them all that bit more attractive to other managers so i think now would be the time for them to act rather than say next summer if they finish seventh I think they'd be less attractive than they are now. So it would only be, only be if you could go and find a top level manager who's a very clear upgrade to come in and replace them. I wouldn't do it for anybody that might be a risk or a gamble. Now, look, any appointment's a risk and a gamble, but someone that I know is of that upper tier, I wouldn't do it for anyone below that. Just to to offer the contrarian or play devil's advocate, do you not think that that change in approach, the fact that he overachieved, if we can say, by doing consistently well rather than Moyes as a one-off well in a final, for example, means that he does deserve the chance to carry on? I think he does deserve... No, no, I've probably misrepresented my view on this. I think he does deserve the chance. 
I'm just looking at it from the owner's point of view of where you want to get to. Eddie Howe has accelerated this project further than you would have expected to be now. But I think everybody would agree, nobody thinks Eddie Howe is the manager there in five years. Everyone was thinking, well, they'll get to a certain point and then they'll go and they'll get, let's just say, a Julian Nagelsmann. Well, now you're in the Champions League and Nagelsmann is out there. There has to have been at least a conversation had, in my view, among those who make decisions at Newcastle of, do you think we should make a phone call on this? Should, should we kick the tires on this very quietly through back channels and see if he'd be interested? Because he's the guy we were hoping we could get in five years. And if we can get him now, maybe that really does accelerate this even further. Yeah, it's definitely a fair point. And probably, if we're being honest, most clubs do do this. They keep tabs on potentials as soon as they're out of a job, find out what their plans are, that kind of thing. So even if it's a case of, are you planning to have the summer off or take a job straight away and be ready for October, November, whenever it is that some of the first teams do make their move? Right, I've got two more questions for you on before we move on to our, our next topic. Four managers who finished the Premier League season in charge of different clubs for varying reasons are now out of work. Frank Lampard, Ryan Mason, Roy Hodgson and Gary O'Neill. Let's assume Roy gets a year's contract with Palace and they decide to just go with Roy because it's comfortable, it's easy, we'll just go with Roy another year. He'll yeah. keep us mid-table. That's yada, yada, yada. Which of Frank Lampard, Ryan Mason, or Gary O'Neill do you see having more success in the next managerial job that they get? Oh, God. Uh, O'Neill, I think. I think He'd be my pick as well. I think if... It's it's likely that all three of them would have to go to the championship, I think. I don't think that there's a Premier League team in the bottom half now who looks at Lampard and says, oh, we could get him if we're in trouble halfway through the season. I don't think he's done anything to suggest that that would be something he'd excel at. Uh, so I think it's championship for all three of them. Mason obviously has not had a senior job. He's been caretaker a couple of times. Mm. So, you know, he might be waiting still. He might be happy to to stay number two, an assistant and keep learning or so on. But I think O'Neill has shown, one, that he can organise a side, he can keep them playing well. Uh, and probably that there's enough managerial insight there, tactically, uh, coaching, that sort of thing, to, to actually take on a team and lead them. Lampard, okay with Derby, but not better than okay and definitely not good anywhere else. No. No, I agree. I think, I think for Frank, it's 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 championship or you know, get yourself ready for for a TV gig. Um, Mason has options. You know, he could stay at Spurs. He could go elsewhere and join a different coaching staff. I think O'Neill will look for a job as a manager. I think having had the taste of it now for a full year and and having done well, 
I think what he did at Bournemouth is far more impressive than anything we've seen from Frank. I think he will be more in demand unless a club just gets, you know, stars in their eyes because they see the name Frank Lampard. In the same way, I think that's Gerrard's best path back as well as probably a championship job after what was an epic failure at Villa. I think he's going to have to go to the championship as well. But again, I think Gary O'Neill would probably, because of what Gerrard did in Scotland, he'll get another job, definitely. Lampard is questionable. But I think Gary O'Neill's time at at Bournemouth will will certainly stand him in in better stead because football is very much, you know, what have you done lately sort of business. And the last thing anybody saw Gerard do was flame out at Villa and then see that same Villa squad excel under the next manager. Now, they overperformed, obviously, we all know that. But teams will still look at it and say, well, they were a relegation team under you and they were the third best team in the league under this other fella. That doesn't speak well of you. Whereas with Gary O'Neill, it's kind of the opposite. They were the worst team in the league under Scott Parker. And then they were quite good under you. So, you know, you're going to be, you're clearly able to transfer your methods and your ideas across better than maybe what Stevie is capable of. Um, Last question then. Going into this season, Assuming these clubs get the players they want, so say for Arsenal, just because they're I'm looking at the list A to A through W, Arsenal are heavily linked to Declan Rice, obviously, and that's a deal that probably will get done. Uh, it looks like Kai Havertz will also arrive, and Jurian Timber is another one that they're strongly linked to. So let's assume they get those three, and that's how they spend the better part of 200 million this summer. Hmm. And let's say, you know, Villa spend a decent amount of money and, you know, Brentford, Brighton, et cetera, et cetera. They all spend money. Pochettino spends a load of money at, at Chelsea. Um, Klopp spends, you know, whatever pennies he can find down the sofa. Eric Ten Hag spends another 200 million on overrated players from Ajax. Which manager do you think will be under the most pressure to deliver in the coming season of anybody in the league? Is it is it an Arteta? Is it Klopp? Is it Poch? Is it Pep? I don't think Guardiola's under any pressure because he's just won a treble, but who do you think goes into the season under the most pressure? Uh, firstly, Klopp. Secondly, Pochettino, but I think that that's more of an improvement than a success thing. Um, I think those would probably be the only ones. Then Ten Hag, to be honest, depending on how much Ten Hag spends and you know what the what the takeover and all the rest of it leads to, I think probably he'd be third because there is an expectation to get better there, and he's talked it up so much. So you had you had Klopp first. So what what do you think is the kind of minimum expectation on Klopp this season. And is that pressure internal? Is it external? Or is it pressure that he'll put on himself? It better be all three. That's the first thing to say. It has to be all three, because otherwise you're just going to fall further and further behind. Minimum, top three, heading into, let's say, March or whatever. And 
let's be honest, Liverpool should go pretty close to winning the Europa League. Mm. I think that's fair. I do think that's fair. I think unless we draw an absolutely massive side who's dropped down from the Champions League, I think you should be looking at semis for Liverpool as a minimum. You know, once you get to the semis, it's shit can happen. Basically, you get without a player for a game or two, or you happen to have a bad day, or whatever it is. Game things can happen within a game. Semi-finals, pressure, all the rest of it. So I think semi-finals and top three heading into you know end of March, April. Mm. I think Liverpool have done the job they needed to in terms of catching up and getting back to where we shouldn't have been falling down from. Beyond that, obviously, depends lots on who we do end up bringing in and all the rest of it. Yeah. And then you mentioned Poch. So, and you said specifically on improvement. It's not about winning anything. It's it's on improvement. So, like, it, it, he's starting off at least from a very low bar, <laughs> said by Frank Lampard. But, Again, what's the sort of minimum expectation there? Is it top four? Is it top um, six? Win a cup? I think, yeah, go close to winning a cup. Again, if you're looking at you know an FA Cup run, quarterfinal, semifinal sort of place, I think that's one thing to look at. And then you want to be in the top six and depending on how quickly he can start things off. Because, I mean, when we talk about a low bar, the bar was on the floor and then Lampard booted it off the cliff. So that's how low it is. So <laughs> they're still searching for the bar. <laughs> yes. Um, look, as long as he gets a team structure in place and they start playing well on the ball and have a bit more organisation off the ball, they're going to be better than last year. And by that, I mean probably 16 points better than last year straight away. So that's already 60 points to put them in top seven, top six, mm. yeah, probably top seven for 60 points. And then let's see how good he does it and how quickly he does it. There's no reason that Chelsea should be below sixth, really, for the amount that they've spent, for the quality that they already have there. Once he's sorted out a few of the outgoings and maybe bring in one or two, you're probably already set for a top six team there. And then it's about how hard do they fight, how hard is he working them, how good is the coaching and so on. Yeah, I think that's very, very fair. If he finished to sixth, I'm just thinking, it's not good, it's not amazing, but they probably take that as a big sign of progress compared to last season. But then mm. I think that they would want a massive step forward. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think I think much of this coming season will also just be about figuring out what you actually have as a club. Like, what players are going to be good enough? What players does this manager want to work with? Because very clearly, there's a huge clear-out needed. Now, it looks like Saudi Arabia is going to take care of quite a lot of that for them. But, you know, he's going to have to make a decision. Is Levi Colwell his starting left-side centre-back? Or is Benoit Badiashile his starting left-side centre-back? And if if it's Colwell, is Badiashile happy to stay as a backup? If, if, if Badiashile is Colwell happy to stay? So he's going to have a lot of... I think he'll get a bit more rope than Graham Potter got because I think they'll have learned a valuable lesson in that managers need time to assess their squad and try different things. Poch is clearly a good a good team builder. We've seen that at Spurs. So I do think he'll get a bit more rope. But yeah, I think this is just you know, season of progression, season of of finding out what you have and what you need moving forward. Um so you didn't mention Mikel Arteta. At all. 
So you don't think he's under any pressure going into this season? Nope. Really? None. None whatsoever. He is walking into this season potentially having been backed to the extent of seven hundred million pounds. Yeah, but who's backing him? Who's the manager at this club? Mikel Arteta. Exactly so. Mikel Arteta has put himself really, really well in a position of power at this club. But if he has one bad season, he can absorb that. That's what he's done. Not just build the Arsenal team, build his own position. He's had one good season there. And it's Arsenal. So you think it's more down to the fact that it's Arsenal and maybe the ambition of the club isn't always the very highest than anything else? Less the ambition of the club and more the awareness of the club. That's fair. That is fair. Like I mean, this is a club that certainly allowed the rot to set in quite drastically under Wenger. But at the same time, they didn't allow the grass to grow under Unai Emery's feet. But then Emery was never really their first choice. Emery was terrible, though. He had two runs of like three months without a win away from home and stuff. He yeah, was but his first season bad. there, he was he was still decent. Like his his first season was was quite was quite decent. I know they finished what fifth or something or sixth maybe, but was it fifth? Yeah, maybe fifth. He's also really yeah, I suppose. Like I suppose. Um, no, it was, yeah, it was, they finished fifth this first season. He got 70 points. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, like 700 million in such a short spell of time is an enormous amount of money to spend on. Like, is it really a title winning team? It, it, here's a question for you, right? So if I tell you that Arsenal's team going into this season is, is Ramsdale, Twice. You can stop. You're not winning the league. I don't think they are either. You can already stop there. You got Ramsdale in goal, you're not winning the league. I'm sorry, but that's 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 what the the league is. You've got Ramsdale. He'll need to be replaced to win real honours. Ben White. Now, they could bring in Timber, and maybe White goes into more of a rotation role where he can play right back, centre-back, and he can fill in at holding midfield. Gabriel, I mean, he's error-prone next to Saliba. Zinchenko's not a great left-back. I don't think you're... I think City could absorb him at left-back. I don't think Arsenal can if they want to win the league. Does a midfield of Martin Odegaard, Declan Rice, and Kai Havertz really scream title winner to you either, though? Doesn't scream it to me. It screams... We'll be really good when we have the ball, but if we lose the ball, we're fucked. And then the attack is is Saka, Jesus, and Martinelli. There's a massive amount of pressure on Martinelli to score goals. Saka will get his goals, but I don't I don't trust Jesus to get me the amount of goals I need. I don't know that Odegaard will repeat what we saw last season. And while Havertz is a better footballer than Granit Xhaka. Is he going to get more than the eleven? Is it nine or eleven goals Jacky got last season from midfield? I, I don't know. So I don't know. If there's enough goals in the team, and I don't think they're going to be good enough defensively. I think they could actually be a bit of a train wreck defensively against good teams if that's how they line up. 
Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot still to go on there. I, I do think at the time during Timber that will add quite a lot, actually, not just from a defensive technical perspective, but to the the makeup of the team. Having someone who can come in and play a very similar role to Ben White, but also give them a lot better build-up play if one of the centre backs are missing. Right, Holding did okay in terms of his defensive work when he came in, but you did notice a big difference between. Saliba playing out and him playing out. And I think if you put Julian Timber or even Ben White in the centre there, you're automatically better. So they're going to improve in some aspects for sure. But if they take out Shaka and Tomas, for all I don't like Shaka and that, I do like Tomas, but I don't like Tomas. And I definitely don't like what Tomas has become in terms of what he could have when he was younger at Atletico. And all the only one you've got in there in terms of defensive in, in, you know, inverted Tomas here. Is Declan Rice? You're not winning the ball back as much as you did. You're no. not def- uh, protecting the defence as much as you did. There are going to be, have to be certain matches where you take out, you know, if Kai Havertz is coming in as an eight, effectively, you take him out or Odegaard out, and you put in someone else who don't actually know who that's going to be at the Fabio moment. So Vieira, probably two levels down. Yeah, probably. And like, like as a like as a six. Declan Rice is a downgrade on Tomas Partey as a six. Now, as a human being, certainly an upgrade. And I think the biggest reason for Arsenal wanting to move Thomas Partey out of their club has nothing to do with football. And I think the biggest reason for him wanting to go to Saudi Arabia has nothing to do with football. But as a six, as a defensive midfielder, Declan Rice is not as good as Thomas Partey. He's not as good defensively. He's not as good on the ball in that role. In the Xhaka role, I think he would have actually been very good. But if he's the Partey replacement and Havertz is the Xhaka replacement, I I would worry about your ability to win the ball back. I would very much worry about it. I would worry about your ability to block passing lanes, to track runners. Like, Kai Havertz doesn't really have great defensive instincts. It's one of the reasons Thomas Tuchel decided... You're just playing up front for now. And Declan Rice, he gets a lot of tackles and interceptions because he's a ball chaser. Like he's got that Henderson gene of sea ball, chase ball. And that's fine if you've got someone with you who can drop in and cover, as Thomas Suchek did for West Ham. But Odegaard's not doing that, and Havertz is not doing that. So... I think, I think they're. I, I, my hot take was that they won't get top four. I think they will get top four, but I think they might be fourth. I think they might be fourth this season, and they'll still be quite a way away from winning a title. And and then what does Arteta say when he goes in to sit down with the owners to ask for more money to spend? Oh, I need a, a player here. I need a player here and a player here. And they're going to turn around and go, well, hang on. So you need a player in a position that you've already spent a large amount of money. You're telling us that the player you already brought in isn't good enough. Which is kind of what they're doing with Partey, but obviously there's extenuating, extenuating circumstances there. But it, I think it is going to make it much more difficult for him to take them much beyond this if like let's say they finish third or fourth this coming season how does he go to the owners and and say and and sell them on him being the guy to improve the club 
The the other thing of this is that Arsenal obviously can no longer do what they did last season and play the same team every game because they did that for so long last yeah. season. That's said this multiple times. This is a big part of the reason why they were as close as they were as long as they were. It's because they were able to keep the same strongest eleven because they were playing Europa League football, and up until the turn of the year, they were playing um, Matt Turner, Rob Holding, Fabio Vieira, Eddie Nketiah, uh, Tierney, Tomiyasu, that kind of player. They were playing Reece in the middle game. You're not going to be able to do that in the Champions League and the Premier League. Mm. You're just not. And as soon as Arsenal started doing that this year, they went out to Sporting, was it? Yeah. Not exactly the greatest club in Europe at the moment. They went out. No. And after that, they went down in the league as well. That's the thing. I mean, you look at outside of the Premier League, they, they beat Oxford in the third round of the FA Cup and they got knocked out in the fourth round by City. So they're out of the FA Cup by the end of January. They were out of the League Cup at the first hurdle after losing to Brighton in November. So you've got no domestic cups to distract you, really. In the Europa League, they played Zurich, Bodo Glimt and PSV Eindhoven. A bad PSV Eindhoven team, it's worth pointing out. And the first half-decent team, not even good team, half-decent team they faced was Sporting, who knocked them out. Sporting finished fourth in Portugal and won't be in the Champions League again next season. So, like, very, very easy run. But again, they're out of... They're, they're not playing their best players in the group stage. They only have to play them for two games, and they don't manage to get through. Everything lined up for them in the league this past season. City were poor until about February. We were garbage until, what, April? United were very, very average... Chelsea were dreadful. Spurs found new and exciting ways to capitulate. All things considered, they're not going to get a better chance at winning the league than that. And yeah, I, I, I just, I think he might be under a little bit more pressure, but we'll see. Right, very quickly, because we've gone way over time here. Very quickly. One player from each, or do you want to leave this and do it another day? One player from each club that needs to leave this summer. Yeah, there's 20 teams to go through. That's at least 20 minutes. Right, we'll leave that for the next one. Next pod. We'll do it. We'll, we'll do it. We could do... What we'll do is the next pod we'll do, we'll do one player from each club that needs to leave and one player from each club that we think can have a breakout season. Someone that's maybe underperformed to date, but that you think could kick on and do really well. Yes, a ninth successive year of going for a Southampton winger who hasn't quite cracked it. Next season will be the year for Moussa Gianapo. <laughs> Next season. Um, right, well, we'll leave it there because we have gone way over time. Uh, we will be back probably, we might, might sneak one in before the end of the week. We'll see. But until then, thank you for listening. Is there anything you want to plug, Carl, from the, the written word? It's sunny. Yeah, so go outside. Go outside, get your phone out. Uh, read my piece on Kefren Turan, which is running on AnfieldIndex.com. Also read Trev Downey's piece on uh, his Liverpool heroes and villains because it's excellent. And um, yeah, there's, 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 some, there's some very disparaging comments about a certain former Liverpool centre-back. And I'll leave you to read it. And all of them are deserved, by the way. All of them are deserved. So we'll leave it there. Thanks all for listening and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.
We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.